Set aside your fantasy and sci-fi doorstoppers. Sometimes big ideas come in small packages. This is Word Less. Hi, Mark. Hey, Allison. How you doing? I'm doing great. Apparently, you somehow uh, convinced me to be the host this week. Oh, but you need the practice. <sighs> if you say so. But hey, <laughs> we, we picked a heck of a book for me to host. At least I think it's a heck of a book. It's The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. I don't know where to begin besides saying it's at least in my opinion, one of the greatest set of books ever. It was original. We're not doing the whole, we're not doing the whole thing, right? We're just doing the first book. Oh, okay. We're just doing the first book. And we're we're going to get to that. Okay. But, <laughs> um, it originally started off as a radio uh, broadcast, which was then reduced to a serial, which was then made into a book. And the book has been reprinted and republished several times. It was then made into a movie. And then the movie was made into another book. Douglas Adams has been, has been known to say, I don't even know which version is the correct one. They're all the they're all the right versions, which goes to tell you a little bit about his concept of his stories. But the basic story is this: Earthman Arthur Dent is uh, upset that his house about, is about to get bulldozed. One, it turns out that Earth is about to get bulldozed, which it does. He then proceeds to go on adventures with various alien beings, with a a, a trusty. Uh, guide to the Galaxy called The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. I really don't think it's important to go through the plot of the story because the plot is not the important part of the story. Um, <laughs> Allison, what did you think of the book? It exemplifies a perfect type of British humor and you can literally not read a whole page without laughing because it's just a very, very funny book. I agree with you. The plot's not important. The plot is a device to make commentary about the human condition. I mean, it opens with this guy who's a descendant of Genghis Khan having visions of hordes of barbarians throwing... Allison, Allison, uh, you're breaking up on me. But Niall, is that that word? Oh, dear. Hey, so let's just keep our, our cameras off. Because I think that's part of the problem on my side. Okay. I'm and sorry. so I have a uh, question. Okay. So, bureaucracy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Okay. So, I have a question for you. Okay. Why is nihilism funny? Because I think most people, if gun to their head... I mean, obviously, there's exceptions to every rule. I think most people like to believe that there's a purpose in life, that mm -hmm. life does have some type of meaning. That's not supposed to be meaningless garbage and all ends in, in dreary death. <laughs> which so, is basically what happens. <laughs> which is basically what happens, right? So um, I, I like to think, I think people like to think they're more important in the scheme of things than they actually are. And I think that's why nihilism is funny. Um, at least to me. So I I know why I picked this book, but I'm curious as to why you think that this is a good book to talk about in our 
series of discussions about short books? Oh, a couple reasons. One of them is that it is, in fact, a short book. It took me four hours to listen to this. And it's, by the way, the audiobook is read by Stephen Fry. So, <laughs> excellent. Um, <laughs> the second is, is that you don't have to commit to the series. It is completely contained. And, so, God, we need more of that in our lives, don't we? Absolutely. Look, and I, and I will agree with you completely. You can read just the first book in its entirety be completely satisfied, never read anything else. Mind you, don't get me wrong, the entire trilogy, all five books, are outstanding. <laughs> <laughs> but you can only read the first one and come away with it just uh, with a warm heart. So I agree. I, I, I do agree. And I'm glad that we did end up uh, picking this book. You mentioned and something at Lord the beginning. I was going to say, and Lord knows we needed something light because we've done a couple really heavy podcasts. We've done some heavy ones, so I'm glad that we're, we, we picked something funny. And look, and I know that, that we tend, at least whenever you ask me to pick books, it always tends to be something dark and bleak. But at heart, like, hey, look, and I know that, that we're just talking about nihilism, but at heart, like, I like humor. I, I like <laughs> things that make me laugh, right? Uh, I like people that don't take themselves seriously, right? Mm -hmm. um, and even though Douglas Adams is talking about serious topics, he's pretty funny about doing so, right? So, one of the things that I so identify with on this in this book is that I've rebuilt a house. I, I tore it down from the <laughs> tore it down to the studs and then had to and every single time I had to get the house inspected. It was such a nightmare. <laughs> And you really just had to get the right inspector to come out. Did like, the inspector read poetry to you? No, no, thank <laughs> God. No. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, so let's. you had a question for me. Yes. So you mentioned earlier, and this is actually, I think, a very important part of the, uh, the book. I mentioned that the plot isn't important, and you're like, yeah, it talks about the human condition. Look, if we look at writing as it's done in the, in the 21st century, basically this book breaks every rule of writing. It's about exposition. It's, it's info dump after info dump. It, <laughs> I mean, points of view are inconsistent. Heck, even the tenses don't work consistently from paragraph to paragraph. It is a complete mess of a book. It's absurd. I mean, yeah. from a writing style perspective, it's absurd, but it works. At least it works for me. What do you I, think of the style itself? I think the absurdity of the style is, in fact, the point of the book. It's somehow Douglas Adams takes a big old bomb, puts it in the middle of a book, blows it up, Puts it all back together again, and it all makes sense, and it's very entertaining. I, I mean, I don't, I don't even know. Like, I, I don't even know how to describe how I feel about the writing style because it's a mess. And you're right, info dumps all the way down, like turtles all the way down. <laughs> like, but it doesn't matter because the info dumps are hilarious. Yes. So, 
my current working theory, and mind you, I've lived with this book for my, almost my whole life. My current working theory, and I want to see what you think about this, okay. is that the book is written in the style of the Hitchhiker's Guide itself. I think right. this is probably correct. That not only is oh that that's so meta. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, Nicholas Adams would do this, right? Right, totally. So I feel like that in a lot of ways, this book was before its time, ahead of its time, or before its time, ahead of its time, ahead of its time. Even though it was extremely popular, and normally things like that don't work, like. There's a part of me, I remember having a thought at the very end of the book when I was reading it. I'm like, is he a prophet? Because it kind of feels like he's a prophet. Well, he has I, I, these, I, these kind, caring, loving cops. And they're like, oh, we don't like shooting you. We're just going to shoot you because... And then we're going to complain to our girlfriend about it. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just... Or the fact that the Hitchhiker's Guide, if, if you... Read the description of the guide itself again. I don't, I'm sorry, uh, uh, listeners. I don't have the exact quote with me. I just came in from a trip, and I literally have my notes uh, jumbled up somewhere not present. But <laughs> the description of the Hitchhiker's Guide itself, where you have to touch a button on a pad and then the words spring to life, I, he described an iPad. I mean, yep. didn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's... And it also starts reading to you automatically. So yes. an iPad with Audible attached to it somehow. I, I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. It now we just need a magic spaceship. Because, by the way, is this science fiction or is it fantasy? Oh, it's science. It's, it's, it's science fiction with the emphasis on the fiction, right? It's science fiction. Right, um, I think it's magic. That's a magic ship. I'm sorry, it's just magic. <laughs> no, it's, it's an improbability drive. So, um, <laughs> but like, and so, you know, uh, actually, so what, one of my favorite uh, other podcasters I listen to. Shout out to you, Drew, over at Inking Out Loud. Um, he actually said something very wise one time, and I think it applies to this book, um, where he said. You know, there's some people, some authors, when they write, they break the rules of, of, of writing and they don't know it. And that's bad writing. And then there's authors who know all the rules and then they deliberately break it. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's what makes it good. And here, that's what I think is happening, because you can tell, like, he constructs story with care. For example, you're talking about the magic spaceship. The magic spaceship has a cheery, bubbly personality. Right. Until it, <laughs> Until it becomes a school marm. Until it becomes a school marm. Or, but it's in contrast to Marvin, the depressed android. Right. Who all he wants to do is just like end, end his life, right? So it's just, you have all these juxtapositions that occur throughout the book. Um, and he does so with care. I mean, you can tell that he really does it with care. So It reminds me, I had... Um... I had to take art. I am not a visual arts person, but I had to take mm -hmm. art when I uh, an art class and in college. And the art professor was like, Picasso could paint 
in what we would consider a classical way. But he also knew how to break rules, and he's known for his rule-breaking. And that's what... I mean, in Douglas Adams' other books, not in the series, are very much more standard. Like, yes. the the Dirk Gently books? Those mm-hmm. are standard detective novels. They're very funny and great. And I'm, but this is just something, its own special thing. So, um, it's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that. So, there's some, there's some books, the way, I think I've described other books before like this, and I think this book qualifies. There's some books where you pick it up, and it's almost fizzing with creative energy. Like, the author can't wait to tell you all of his great ideas, and there's such a good writer that like it, the ideas just pop off the page so fast and the book's just bursting with energy. Right. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the impression I get every time I pick up this book, it's like, I always pick up something new, something different. And it's, it's just because the words just, they leap off the page. It's, it's not even a chore to read it. Right. It's just there. It's just, it's almost like the words are, are like jumping out of the page to kind of, kind of like uh, have you read them. Right. Yeah, this is the fourth time I read this book, and I read it twice for this podcast. Oh, wow. I didn't need to, but I was just like, <laughs> I want to hear about the fish crawling into your ear, and the bad poetry, and the two-headed dude who seduces an earth woman right out from wait, Earth or dead. No, wait, 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 wait. You can't say two-headed dude. I want you to say his name. I'll no, say if you want. No, no. I'm not going to say Beeblebrox. There you go. Oh, God. I, I, I actually think that you purposely picked this book because you would like to hear me mispronounce all the names. <laughs> I was actually gonna. I was gonna give you a quiz. No, <laughs> you are. I I refuse. I have the editing power, and I will cut all that shit. <laughs> so I will pass. Instead, what I will do is this. Um, I'm going to give you a cho- uh, three characters. Okay. There's three characters. I want you to pick any three characters you want, and when I say a character, it could literally be anything in the book it could be any of one of the little info dumpy portions it can oh, be no. anything you want i want you to name three characters that you would recommend people pay attention to in this book here's a caveat it can't be arthur Dent. oh he's our little eye into the world follow, you're gonna follow him anyway so let's go <laughs> <laughs> so I, i'm not gonna name him but the captain of the ship of the fuck, fuck me, I hate you so much right now. Of the ship that destroys Earth, him, he's a fun character, and he shows up a couple times if I remember correctly. Can you at least say the species' name? <laughs> I have it written down somewhere. No. Begins with a, begin, <laughs> with begins a v. With a v. Yes, Come the on. Vulcans. That's not even close. <laughs> I know. That's, that's, that's Star Trek. I know. I actually did that on purpose because I have a point to make about that later. Um, well, why don't you make it now? So there are at least three portions of this. No, two, not three. Two parts of this book that I feel like 
inspired things in the next generation series for Star Trek. I think the, the Borg. Okay. Cause you have the the Voltrons or whatever they're called. Vogons. <laughs> Vogons. Voltrons by the Voltron was a show I watched when I was a kid. Anyway, <laughs> so the Vogons keep saying resistance is useless. And what did no. the Borg say? Resistance is futile. Oh, no, true. the okay. Borg no, the you're right. You're actually you know what? You're right. You're right. I'm wrong. You're right. You're right. right, right. So I was like I wonder if that was inspired, like that phrase specifically was inspired. I'm sure it was. I'm sure it was too. And then the second one is, um, go look at it. Um, the thing that makes the tea that's not tea, <laughs> the neutromatic. And all, and I read that, and I was like thinking about. I was thinking about Jean-Luc Picard ordering tea from his synthesizer. And I'm like, yeah. I feel like that's a nod as well. Anyway. Yeah. So other characters to follow. Um, Ford. You should definitely mm-hmm. pay attention to him. And I can't remember the chick's name. The earthling chick. You know what? You know what I think is great? I asked you to name three and you've done four. So you've fallen completely into the spirit of the Hitchhiker's Guide. But so I, I sincerely and totally appreciate um, your, your, your willingness to, uh, to do so. I really only have been, and me to fall in the spirit of it. If there's any, if there's any three characters I'm, I'm going to recommend, it's going to be Marvin. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And that's it. Just, just Marvin. Because Marvin is awesome. He's so great. Like, I actually know people like this. He mm-hmm. keeps complaining about how I am just so terribly smart and I'm not being used to my capacity. And he's basically a useless person. <laughs> and, he, and he won't do anything to fix it. He'll, he, all he wants, to, his purpose in life really is to complain. Okay. So, the chick. I can't, be, I can't believe that you say chick. The female. She's a chick. Trillion. She's a hot trillion, chick. Trillion. Who's also very smart. <laughs> trillion. <laughs> um, anyways. Um, yeah, so the point of the story, the point of the story, if you guys hadn't told, and I deliberately, by the way, guys, I'm going to let you behind the curtain a little bit. Normally, like, Allison's super organized, and she has a spreadsheet, and she has everything planned. I felt, in order to do this story justice, I had no plan coming in. I had no spreadsheet. We're just going <laughs> to wing it because that's what the story deserves. Um, you, can, you can probably cut that. No, um, no, I'm leaving that in and I disapprove. Okay. <laughs> I'm Allison and I disapprove of this message. <laughs> so my favorite part of, I shouldn't say my favorite, among my favorite parts of this, this story is that so much of it like so much of the lexicon of the story has become common parlance in mainstream community, in science fiction community, the fantasy community. People use a lot of phrases without even thinking about it, without even thinking about it anymore, mm-hmm. right? Don't panic. Yeah, right. Right? I mean, that's the, 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 the tenet of the, of the book. So with that in mind, what are some either phrases, 
or scenes or anything from the book that you're like, man, I this kind of a uh, this is this speaks to me. This is something that I really took away from the book this this time. Yeah. So, uh, like you, I take away something different every time I read it. Um, by the way, I just want to say Mark is a liar because he did tell me to pick three scenes and um i picked four one's an honorable mention but (laughs) (laughs) see because yes because in a trilogy you need to pick four yes exactly um so i i propose mr new time hoster dude uh that we switch off and this is not going to be a ranking for me anyway so the first one that (laughs) The first one that makes me laugh is mm-hmm. Ford is in the bar and he's getting Arthur drunk. And Arthur freaks out because they're bulldozing his house and he runs out. And the bartender is like, what's going on? He's like, well, the world's going to end. And the bartender thinks, I-, I think I remember something about putting a bag over your head at the end of the world. Will that help? <laughs> Well, he says putting a bag over your head. And then um, Ford's like, sure, if you want. And the bartender says, will it help? And he's like, no. I said that very badly. I might have to re-record that. (laughs) I just, Um, I just, we do so many things because it makes us feel better. And it really isn't helpful. But we just do it anyway. That's true. Um, so you want me to say one? Yeah. Now? So mine's not an actual scene, but a theme throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And um, it is the utility of a towel. <laughs> a, a towel is a very useful item. And it can be used for all kinds of things. It can help help keep you clean. It can flag down a... Uh, a passing spaceship. You could use it as a weapon. I mean, it's um, it's a pretty useful item. So I'm um, I'm gonna go with uh, Douglas Adams on this. And if uh, you guys ever listen to this on May 25, I encourage you to be uh, to have a towel handy. <laughs> so it's your turn. I know it is. Ford, there's an infinite number of monkey <laughs> of monkeys outside who want to come in and talk about the script for Hamlet that they've worked out. So that's the quote. This is when they land in the the improbability drive room and the monkeys are trying to break in because they figured out Hamlet. It's just <laughs> it's like this there's always that thing about how if you give infinite monkeys, infinite typewriters, and infinite, mm-hmm. infinite amounts of time, it's like this trope. And he just, anyway, I just laugh hysterically every time I read that. Do you remember the the scene where they're trying to prove or disprove the existence of God, and they kind yes, of gave up? That was okay. also good. <laughs> the argument I mean, goes real- something like this. Hold on, let me quote it for you. The argument goes something like this. I refuse to prove that I exist as God. For proof denies faith, and without faith, I am nothing. 
Which is both funny and kind of profound, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Okay, go ahead. Uh, I, interrupt, I interrupted you. Go ahead. I don't remember what I was going to say. I think it's your turn. Unless that was your turn. I, that was. Oh. Yeah. Okay. So, they arrive above the planet. There's chaos. I mean, well, I mean, there's chaos. There's always chaos in this book. Like, the whole thing is chaos. Curiously enough, the only thing that went through the head of the Petunias was, oh no, not again. (laughs) Many have speculated that if we only knew why the Petunias had thought that, we would know a lot more about the nature of the universe than we do now. Yes. Oh, I also like, um, this isn't on my list, but because you mentioned that, at least three times in the book, there was something where like somebody discovered the answer to the, to the life, the universe and everything, or they discovered like, you know, the cure for cancer, but then the earth blew up and we never found out. So, so that happens a lot. So yes, the, the, the petunia whale is a very, uh, <laughs> um, it's pretty good. It's such an amazing scene. And it's so, I didn't quote it because it's very, very long, but the whale has this whole existential moment only to turn into a crater on the planet. Yes. (laughs) Which is, I mean, very nihilistic. This book is very nihilistic. Yes. I'm going to, I'm going to just quote um, one of my favorite. The end is is the quote that everybody knows, but I kind of like the whole thing because the setup also makes it funny too. Mm-hmm. Um, the last ever dolphin message was misinterpreted as a surprisingly sophisticated attempt <laughs> to do a double backwards somersault through who <laughs> whilst whistling the Star Spangled Banner. And in fact, the message was this: "So long and thanks for all the fish," <laughs> because as it turns out, humans are like the what the the third. Third. The third. Or maybe, well, yeah, I think in this book is the third smartest um, uh, beings on the planet. And the dolphins kind of knew that Earth was about to get bulldozed. And they're like, bye, we're out of here. So. <laughs> and they've been trying to tell the humans forever. <laughs> the yep. humans don't get the message. <laughs> don't get the message at all. Which kind of sums up, we don't get it. We don't. No. And... I mean, the whole scene where they're explaining how the mice actually commissioned Earth. Yep. I mean, and he's like, no, we we experiment on the mice. And then he just stops. He doesn't even finish the sentence. And he's like, oh. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here is oh, just a really funny line. Um that I think we can all identify with. And the philosophers are very, very upset because they're going to build this computer to find out what the question is. Because they're, they're asking the computer, what is the question to the life, life, the universe, and everything? But that's not the right question, and the answer is 42. So, the philosopher, the philosophers say, we demand Rigidly defined areas of doubt and uncertainty. Yes. <laughs> it's just... It's, it's so absurd. And, you know, 
we all need a laugh. Is there any other quotes that you have that you uh you you want to kind of like throw out there? Oh, how many ma- how many roads must a man walk down? Forty two. Oh, that works. It's it's ambiguous enough. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Which is why I was listening to Bob Dylan when you showed up on our chat. <laughs> hey, look, I, I mentioned Marvin. I have to I have to give a shout out to Marvin. Funny, he intoned funerarily. How just when you think life can't possibly get any worse, it suddenly does. <laughs> <laughs> He's <I'm sorry>. like. <laughs> I mean, guys, I'm sorry. I could probably just spend the entire story, the, the, the entire podcast, just quoting Hitchhiker's Guide, just laughing hysterically, because it's just it's that kind of book. Um, I do have a list of fun concepts that the book addresses. Go ahead. Go for it. Interstellar highways. Oh, yeah. Yes. Hitchhiking through the galaxy. Mm-hmm. Improbability drive. Babblefish. magic. It is magic. Okay, wait, wait. Let's stop on Babblefish. I hope Babblefish exists because that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a thing with like, like I don't mind bugs or in, in general. I don't like creepy crawlies touching me, and the description of the Babblefish going into Arthur's ear just makes me want to. Like throw you know, up or something. I don't even know how to explain the feeling it gives me. It's you have not, you put Star Trek in my mind. Do you remember Star Trek? <gasps> yes. Two? Oh yes, with the bug things, and it goes in the air uh-huh. and it eats through their brain. Uh-huh. Oh my gosh, I wonder if that's a Star Trek thing too. I'm just you. You, you got that on my mind now. So I, I'm wondering how how much how much of all the Star Trek stuff like was basically a a rip off of Hitchhiker's Guide. But anyways, go ahead. <laughs> um, designer planets, like the, just the idea. That. That's so yeah. fun. Um, well, and, and I love it that that only the super rich get to do it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, mice as interdimensional uh, beings that look like us on in their dimension. I thought that was just mm-hmm. fun. Yeah. And uh, ballpoint pen land. Like, there's a planet <laughs> <laughs> ballpoint pens. <laughs> And we all know, I mean, how many times have you used up a pen? Yeah. No, I'm asking. Like, how many times oh. have you used up a pen? I, I'm a bad person to ask. I just use pens until they're literally dry and then I go to a new one. Oh, because I can't tell you the last time I used up a pen. They always disappear before the ink is gone. No, and, and actually, and, and these gel pens are like, the, the, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, Please use gel pens. Gel pens are the way to go. They cost a little bit more, but such a smooth writing experience. It's they're so good. You're one step away from being a fountain pen snob. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, like I said, the neutromatic is a f- just fun. Yeah. The idea that you can walk up, but it only gives you something that is not totally like tea, <laughs> right? And it tests. So the cool thing is, is it tests you, t- test your taste buds to see what you like. But no matter what it does, what the test is, it's going to be, yeah. gonna be the same thing every single time. Exactly. So I could spend hours talking about this. Any final thoughts about Hitchhiker's Guide? 
Um, I like that the heart of gold is the source of life in the entire I universe. I do like that. And I like that that the only reason Zaphod became president in the first place was to steal the heart of gold, which kind of goes it kind that kind of gets kind of deep and meta when if when when you start thinking about it. Right, right, right. Yeah. So Beeble Box created life. Is he God? That's right. Is he God? Is <laughs> the name of God Zaphod Beeble Box? Apparently, Douglas Adams thinks so. <laughs> Except he was an atheist, I think. I'm pretty sure. Well, I think I, I like that Marvin accidentally rescues everybody at the end. <laughs> And he doesn't want to. Like, oh. he, does, he doesn't even mean to. He's just like, I'm bored, so I'm going to go talk to the ship over here. And <laughs> the ship commits suicide and kills everybody. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you know, so you know, people like this, huh? Who the, the people rather commit suicide than talk to them? Interesting. Anyways, no, um, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> guys, I've I've something to tell you about Mark. <laughs> I think that's everything. I, I mean, except I, that, like you, I could talk about this book forever. So, yeah. Look, guys. So, for for this book, look, it's it's genuinely it's a masterclass in writing in the ways that it breaks every single rule. And I think what's important here, um, if you want to write a story, long or short, preferably short, so that we we get to enjoy it here over at Wordless. Um, Learn the rules so you know how to break them, right? Learn mm -hmm. the rules so you know how to write, right? Um, mm -hmm. Because once you know the rules, then you get to start having fun and playing around. And that's what Douglas Adams did here. He, he had an idea, a general idea, and he made his box bigger by breaking the rules and keeping while keeping the, the space short. He created a fully realized universe in about 300 pages. And he, the only way he could do that was by being a master in the art of writing and knowing what rules to break and then deliberately breaking them over and over again. Agreed. So this has been the fifth episode of Wordless. Thank you so much for joining us. And Mark, you need more practice hosting. Hey, I thought I did great today. You did great. Right. You did great. You need to write an intro and give me a spreadsheet. <laughs> <laughs> Good maybe, night. Maybe next time. Okay. okay. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye.